0: Thank you for being here this morning through the uh, blizzard already. Holy moly, it just seems like two months ago we were baptizing people at the lake and then I come this morning and it's sleeting on my way to church this morning and it's just so quick, so quick. So Christmas is going to be here before you know it. And next week we're going to start a four-week Christmas series titled Travel Light and the whole premise of the series is to just carry less burdens in your life. And so if these are going to be attractive to you, they'll probably also be attractive topics to your friends and neighbors who are still far from God, those people that you work with, your family. This is the time to invite them. Uh, Christmas time this month and Easter Sunday are the two times when people are most apt uh, to come to church that don't usually come. And what's the number one reason that people say they don't come to church? Nobody's invited them. It's still bizarre in this time, in this day, in this culture, that the vast majority survey after survey after survey after survey, every single one of them says, the number one reason that people who are far from God say they don't come to church Now whether it's true or not, we don't know. But this is what they say. And the reason they don't come to church is because nobody has ever invited them. It's amazing that people can grow up. Uh, in a family that's far from God, never come to church and never hear the gospel, and you simply inviting them to come with you could make an incredible difference in the legacy that they leave for generations. So don't discount that. Don't uh, sell it short. Invite your friends. We're going to talk about next week, letting go of distractions. Then the following week, letting go of bitterness. Then the Sunday before Christmas, we'll talk about letting go of control. And then the Sunday between Christmas and New Year's, we'll be talking about letting go of your past which will be a great thing to do right before uh, the new year. Let go of your past. And so if they'll be encouraging to you, they'll probably be encouraging to your friends. Invite them to come and hear the good news of Jesus during the Christmas season. Today, we're going to continue in 1 Corinthians. And Pastor John finished up chapter 6 last week, did a great job on that. And today, we're going to talk a little bit in chapter 7. Now, chapter 7 deals with relationships, It deals with marriage, it deals with divorce, it deals with remarriage, it deals with singleness, it deals with all kinds of ways that people relate to one another in families and outside of families uh, in their relationships. And remember that most of the Corinthians were coming out of extremely worldly lives in order to follow Jesus Christ as their savior. So they had a lot of questions. Uh, Remember, they don't have the New Testament yet. So the only thing they have to fall back on is the apostles' teaching and what little letters they get when they get them. Uh, Remember, uh, this letter was actually Paul's second letter. We don't have a copy of his first letter, but this was actually Paul's second letter to the churches in Corinth. He sent it to all the churches in Corinth. There were probably uh, many churches, local churches there. And uh, this was to be circulated amongst them and then to continue on. And we'll talk about that more in a little bit. Uh, But most of these Christians were first-generation converts. In fact, all of them were first-generation converts. Uh, Some of them had been Christians now a little while, but they had a lot of questions uh, concerning their families. Some of them were legit, and some of them, quite frankly, probably were not. Questions like this. Well, now, should I stay married now that I'm a Christian and my spouse is not a Christian? Well, we have two completely different worldviews now. Should we stay married? Or now that I'm a Christian, should I get rid of them and find a good Christian person to do? Now, if they're a televangelist, that's exactly what they do. But they're not, okay? And I say that halfway is a joke, but it's not a joke. If you Google that and look up all of the television preachers that have Uh, divorce their wives in order to marry someone that would be better for his ministry, it's really startling. And it's unbiblical in every instance. We're going to see that more when we get back to this passage. So most of the Corinthians here were new Christians. They were asking these questions: Should I stay married? Should I marry a believer? Should I should I remarry a believer? Should I marry a believer? Should I marry an unbeliever? What is that all like? And and probably some of them were asking with uh, less than pure motives. Hey, now that I'm a Christian, can I get rid of this old guy? You know, um, is this a good excuse? Is this a good reason? Uh, singles were asking, so now that I'm I'm single, should I get married in order to serve Christ better as a couple? Can we be used by God better this way than that way? All kinds of questions, okay? Paul's going to take on all those questions. Uh, He's going to talk about every specific situation you can kind of come up with when we return to 1 Corinthians in January, okay? Uh, there's really two pretty big sermons uh, that we need to uh, cover in chapter 7, the first half and the last half. We're gonna get, uh, today, we're going to look at a little middle section where Paul's going to share a general principle for all of these things, okay? We're going to answer all those specific questions when we get back to this 1 Corinthians in January, but for now, I want you to see this principle, and we'll remind you of this principle when we get back to this, in, uh, in January, but here is the general principle, and that's this, live as you are, live as you are, just whatever situation you're in, live as you are, whatever circumstance you're in, live as you are, now we'll see how that kind of works out in real life here in just a little bit, but let's look at First Corinthians chapter 7, verses 17 through 24, here's what it says, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him, and to which God has called him, this is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called there, let him remain with God. And so we see here this very first principle, and I call it the live as you were, live as you were called principle. The live as you were called principle. This is good for us to kind of think through. Now, remember, uh, this principle is universal, but it applied really specifically in a big way to them because they were really just becoming Christians. These were not people who had been Christians 10 years or 20 years or 30 years. These were not people who were second, third, and fourth uh, generation Christians who had been modeled Christianity for them. Uh, these were people who were just trying to figure out, okay, I just gave my life to Jesus. Now, what do I do? Where should I go? How should I change things? What, what, what should I change all around me? All right? So here's this live-as-you-work called principle. Now, I don't usually do this because I usually go verse by verse and change those. But I want you to see that Paul repeats himself three times in just this many verses. In seven verses, he repeats himself three times. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17a, verse 20, and verse 24, look at them. Here's 17a. Here's what he says. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. Verse 20 each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Verse 24, so brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. So Paul repeats this three times because it's a key thought. But let's remember, we believe that Paul was being inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this. So this is not only Paul the man writing to a church. This is God through His Holy Spirit inspiring Paul to write this to all of us. Now, many of us in this room are parents or older siblings. And when you tell a kid, hey, close the door, 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 (laughs) do you do that just to hear yourself say it? No. You do it for two reasons, right? One, because they never close the door. And two, because you're trying to get them to remember to do it, right? Guess what? When God repeats himself, he's doing the very same thing. He's doing the very same thing. He's saying, listen, listen to this. Listen carefully, listen carefully. I'm trying to get through to you. We tell our kids that because we're trying to get through their thick skulls, right? Well, God's doing the very same thing to us, He's saying, listen, uh, live the way I called you, however you were when I called you. And by the way, this is not some a special calling like to be a pastor or to be a missionary or anything. What he's talking about right here is the call to salvation, the call to be a follower of Jesus Christ, the call to give up your own will and exchange it for God's will for your life. That's the call. And, and it's for every Christian. He repeats himself because he's trying to get through to us. And what he's saying is this. As a general principle, as a general principle, especially if you've just become a new Christian and you're trying to change everything, here's what you should do. If you're married, stay married. If you're single, stay single. Whatever situation you find yourself in, stay there for now. Folks, transformation comes on the inside and it's seen in our character and our behavior. Transformation is not a complete change of all of our circumstances. And we sometimes think that if we're following Jesus well, He's gonna change our circumstances. He's gonna make life better. He's gonna help me get a promotion. He's gonna help me make more money. He's gonna do all these nice and wonderful things for me because really, you know, God's purpose is to make me happy and, and, and make me just, you know, full of joy and, and just, you know, life being a fun thing. It, life is all about rainbows and ponies, right? Or the, you know, what are they, you know unicorns, or whatever they are, you know? <laughs> Listen, we, we have a tendency in, in America, we have a tendency to do that more than any other people on the planet. God's not interested in your happiness. God is not interested in making life easy for us. God is interested in turning us into a reflection of his son, and he will do that by whatever means suits him. We got to think, we got to remember that, okay? So transformation comes on the inside. It's not seen in a change of all of our circumstances. So just because you become a Christian and you're married to a non-Christian doesn't mean that life is going to get so much better if you just kick him to the curb. Doesn't mean that. In fact, we have a tendency sometimes to use our situations and circumstances as an excuse not to serve Christ, and we shouldn't do that. We say things like, you know, if I was just more outgoing, I could be used by God in a better way. If I was just more talented, if I could do more things, if I was better looking or if I was smarter, if I had more time or didn't have family stuff to do all the time, if if I had a wife because I don't have one, if I made more money, if I had more influence, I could serve Christ better. Folks, those are the concerns of somebody who's saying, I- I'm always looking for the next best thing, but I'm not going to serve Christ until I get it. Listen, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be more talented or better looking. I want, I want those things for myself, all right? But, but you don't not serve Christ until you get him. You just serve him where you are. Whatever situation, whatever circumstance you're in, you serve him and you love him and you worship him where you are. Besides, we see, according to these verses, that our station in life is God assigned. He has assigned it. He has placed us there. Now, we aren't, we aren't uh, extremists about this. We don't believe that God, uh, you know, put the world in motion and rounded up like a top and every single thing is already decided. God knew, you know, he, he chose the socks I was going to wear today and he chose all these things for. we don't have any choice. We don't believe that. Okay, but God is working in an active way in our lives. He's putting pieces together of the puzzle of our life in ways that we don't see. And when we see that, that single piece of a puzzle, you know, I, I like to play some, it helps me kind of unwind to play games on my, uh, on my phone, and I have a puzzle game. And it's really mindless, you know, but you just, you just kind of move the puzzle pieces into the spots and they, they put together a puzzle. Every single piece by itself really doesn't make much sense. In fact, many of them, you can't even tell what it's going to be a picture of. But when you put them all together, it becomes this beautiful picture. And we have a tendency to look at these individual pieces of our lives, these individual things, and we're like, you know, God, what are you doing? But he's saying right here, look at this. That let person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. So, brothers, in whatever condition was called, let them remain there with God. Folks, God is putting our life together. And by the way, he was working in your life before you gave your life to him. Why do you think you did that? He was wooing you. He was, he was trying to reel you in. He was, he, was, he was trying with his Holy Spirit to convict you of your sin, of our sin. He was trying to draw us to himself so that we would give our lives to him. And so he was already working in our lives before before we gave our lives to him. So why would we change everything when we gave our lives to him? It's God assigned. Now, there is an exception to this rule, this rule of live as you are. And that is if it doesn't apply if what you're doing is inherently evil or sinful in other words, if, if this, let's say that a temple prostitute in this day, uh, Aphrodite had a, there was a temple to Aphrodite there, and there were temple prostitutes where people would actually come there and pay uh, a prostitute uh, for her services as an act of worship. Listen, if a temple prostitute receives Christ as her savior, they don't, st- they don't remain as they are, <laughs> all right? They don't live as they are. They got to change that. If, if there's a couple living in a completely open marriage, where they're having relationships with a bunch of other people and they receive Christ as their savior, they stop that. That relationship changes. They stop that and they stay married to one another. But unless something is inherently wrong or bad or evil or sinful, then then Paul is saying here, guys, as a general rule, just live as you are. Stay as you are. When you come to Christ, don't change everything around you. Let God change what is in you. We also see that this principle is normative. Look at the last half of verse 17. It says, this is my rule in all the churches. Now, it's funny that Paul thinks he's writing a letter to churches, okay? He doesn't, you know, Paul didn't say, hey, you know, we've got the, uh, the Old Testament. I think I'll start writing the New Testament. Let me send out a letter. I'm sure they'll collect them and put them in the news. He wasn't thinking that at all, okay? He had no idea, So he thinks he's writing a letter to the churches to give them instruction as an apostle. He has authority. He has the authority to do that, and he's giving them instruction. He doesn't realize this is actually being uh, collected as part of the New Testament because it was God-inspired. So he thinks it's his rule for all the churches, but, folks, it's not his rule for all the churches. It's God's rule for all the churches. This is what God is saying. Paul specifically says this again, and by the way, if you weren't here for the beginning of this uh, series, he said this at the very beginning of the letter. He says it again to remind them that this is a principle, not only for Corinth, but in every church that Paul deals with, the ones in Ephesus, the ones in Galatia and everywhere else. So along with the principles, uh, we're going to see in the rest of chapter seven, this is the main principle. This is the main thing, which is stay as you are, remain and live as you are. Number three, we should not attempt to change our status or situation because of our salvation alone. Now, Paul's not saying, listen, after you become a Christian, you should never change anything, okay? If you're a a plumber, when you get saved, you should stay a plumber your whole life. If you live on this street, you get saved, you should stay on this street your whole life. He's not saying that. What he's saying is, don't go to, to try and change all the things around you, especially your relationships, Because of your salvation alone, let God lead you. But look, he's going to give us two examples. And remember, this whole chapter is about relationships marriage, divorce, remarriage. But look what he writes here as the first example in verses 18 and 19. He says, Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Paul puts absolutely no value on circumcision or uncircumcision, which was really a pretty big status symbol uh, in the religious day. People talked about this. Uh, they they grouped in groups. You know, we we were the circumcised, we're the uncircumcised because, of course, those circumcised were of Jewish heritage and those uncircumcised were of Gentile heritage. Now, early in the church, in fact, if you want to look it up in Acts 15, we see at the Jerusalem Council that the apostles decreed that Gentile converts to Christianity do not need to adhere to the Old Testament law of the Jews, including circumcision they're asking this question. Now, now, some were saying in the early church, some were saying, hey, listen, if you're going to follow Jesus, you got to become a Jew first and then follow Jesus because really Christianity is Judaism on steroids. Okay. Now, 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 Judaism is kind of the birth of Christianity. Uh, Jesus was Jewish. The apostles were Jewish. It came out of that, but it, was, it is not a, a you know, Jewish plus. Uh, Christianity is not that. It's something different. And so they got together. Some were saying, you got to do this. Others were saying, no, you don't. You can follow Jesus without becoming a Jew. You can be a Gentile, a Jew. You can be anything and follow Jesus. So they had this big council. And the apostles got together with the elders of the churches, and they said, we got to decide this. we got to be on the same page. And so they prayed. They, they uh, talked it over. They debated for a while. And they said, okay, we all are in agreement that you do not have to be uh, of Jewish heritage, nor do you have to become a Jew to become a follower of Jesus. But still, this was a popular way to misinterpret misinterpret Christianity and cause dissension and problems in the church. Remember, part of the big problem in, in Corinth was that the church was getting divided in different ways for different reasons. Some were following one leader, some were following another leader. This was another way that the church was dividing itself. Former Jews looked down on the uncircumcised as though Christianity was Judaism plus. And it's not. This made the Gentile converts want to give in to the pressure. Say, hey, they've got something we don't have. Uh, they, you know, they're closer to God because of this or whatever they're saying. And it put pressure on them to get circumcised. Paul says, no, don't do that. You don't have to do that. That doesn't, that doesn't help your relationship with God any. The Gentile converts they would get frustrated with the Jewish converts and they'd put pressure on some of them by flaunting their freedom. Hey, we don't have to do it. You got circumcised. We don't have to. Look at that. And they would put pressure on them that way. And they would point out uh, that the Jewish converts would actually seek a surgical procedure to uncircumcise themselves. Now, uh, I, I, I've never heard that before when I, when I first read this passage a few years ago. Listen, don't Google that. It's not worth Googling. Uh, but there's actually... There's actually a surgical procedure to go through the process of someone who's circumcised to be uncircumcised. That's enough talk about that. The point is, the point is Paul's saying, listen, guys, it doesn't matter. If you were were circumcised when you came to know Jesus as your Savior, just stay circumcised. If you were uncircumcised when you came to know Jesus as your Savior, just stay uncircumcised. That doesn't matter at all. What matters? Keeping the commandments of God. You see, a relationship with Jesus changes your behavior. It changes you from the inside. It doesn't change the outside. It changes the inside. You're not going to get any prettier. I'm not going to get any more handsome when we come to Jesus. What we got is what we got, but it does change the inside. Paul says, folks, this doesn't matter. Whatever condition you were in at salvation it only matters about your behavior and your obedience. It only matters that those change. That's what's important. In his second example, we see in verse 21, Paul says this, were you a bondservant when called, a slave? Do not be concerned about it, but if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. Now think about this for a minute. Here, Paul says, if you are a slave, if you are owned by someone else, hey, don't worry about it. Now, if you can buy your freedom, great, go for it. But if you can't, being a slave does not hinder your ability to follow Jesus as your Savior. See, folks, Christianity isn't a political preference. It's not even a political thing. Everybody tries to make it a political thing, but it's not a political thing. Now, I am interested in politics, and I watch the news. And it's interesting that both sides say, you can't be a Christian and follow their side. Well, you can't be a Christian and follow their side. I mean, to hear them say it, none of us are Christians, and I'm thinking maybe none of them are, I don't know. But the point is this, the point is this. What Paul's saying is, listen, if you are stuck in this position, don't spend your life trying to get out of it. In a sense, just accept it and serve Jesus anyway. Now, this passage has been used throughout history to support and defend slavery, and this passage cannot be used to support or defend slavery in any way, shape, or form, folks. That's an incredibly bad interpretation. You see, the fact that Paul, and in essence God, is not speaking uh, to the morality of slavery is not the issue at all. It's not even in the verse. It's not even considered. Paul is simply saying, listen, totally free to do your own thing or totally enslaved, your situation alone does not need to change in order to follow Jesus Christ. Just live as you are. Live as you are. Slaves should not use their Christianity as an excuse to run away, but to serve their masters in peace. Now remember, Paul is talking about all these things, he's giving these examples to help us understand the questions about marriage and relationships. And what Paul's saying is, listen, whatever course, whatever course of life you're in, whatever station you're in, whatever situation you're in, when you come to follow Jesus, you don't have to change it. You can serve Jesus in it. Now, while Paul gives us two great examples besides marital status, I think we can extend this principle into other and most areas of life. It's not only just our marital status, but your financial position. Listen, you don't have to get a better job or make more money to serve Jesus. You don't have to be in a different location to serve Jesus. You don't have to have a greater IQ or a better personality or better looks. You don't have to have any of those things to serve Jesus. When you come to Jesus, you serve him right where you are and in the circumstances you're in. Unless it's inherently evil, Inherently sinful, you serve him right where you are. Now, uh, a few years back, I worked for a company called and It was an ink manufacturing company. And I worked there about uh, 13 to 15 years or so, at least in my brain, that's how long it was. And um, I had several positions through the company. I had, I think, uh, uh, seven different positions through the company as I uh, worked there. And in a couple of them, man, I, I just I hated my job. I I woke up and I'm like, oh, Lord Jesus, please come back before I get there. And and I literally literally would pray as I'm driving to work, Lord, please help me get into an accident. Not a big one where anybody's hurt, just enough that I have to fill out paperwork two or three hours. Please, Lord, give me a break. I mean, I would literally think that way. But during that time, when I was desperately trying to change my circumstances, I was desperately trying to change my surroundings, during that time, I led my boss to Christ. And in turn, he led his three children to Christ. And when one of them was killed in an accident, he called me to thank me for sharing Christ with him. All of that happened while I hated my circumstance. And if I could have changed it, I would have done anything to get out of that place. But God had me there for a reason. I was assigned so I could show the gospel there. I influenced one of my subordinates to give his life to Christ. And he and his whole family now follow Jesus. He's got five kids. All of those kids are loving Jesus and serving him. Listen, when I wanted to change it, God was using it for his ultimate glory and really for my benefit now that I look back. We should only make a major move, folks, when God is moving us. Not because we hate our circumstance. Whether you've been a Christian for a day or a month or 50 years We shouldn't be just chasing the money or chasing the next job advance or the primo location or whatever it is we're chasing. We should be chasing God, letting him direct us. Now, if he said in those previous verses, he's put us in a place when we came to know Christ, that that was a God-assigned place, do you think he's forgotten his assignments now? You think he doesn't have you right where you are? See, the reality is he's got you right where he wants you. In fact, he's got you right here today, right where he wants you. So we should make, listen, we're going to make major moves in life. I, I get that. But we should always be making them because we're following Christ, not following anything or anybody else. In fact, a little side note here. Uh, when people leave Fellowship of Grace and are getting ready to move away, uh, many times they'll be in the process of getting things in order. And they'll come back and say, "Hey, Pastor, thanks for praying for us. We found a new house, and and we found a really great school district. We're going to put our kids in, and we're getting things worked out. I found out where the beauty salon is, and I know where the grocery store is, and I'm really excited." And I'll say to them, "Have you found a good church yet?" Like, well, no, we're gonna, we're gonna kind of get there and get on the, you know, the field of our new home and dah, 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 and then we'll find a good church. What? Folks, you should be looking for that first thing. I, I mean, you would, you would go and look for a place to send your kids five days a week and not find a place to support their spiritual growth? I'm telling you, if God ever moved me, That'd be one of the first things we look for. In fact, I'd be choosing my home based on where the church was, not trying to find a church based on the house I picked out. You see, we do things backwards. And what Paul's saying here is, folks, when you become a Christian, stay put. Don't just start changing everything. Stay put. Let God change over time. Now, the last thing I want you to see in this passage is this. All believers experience freedom and slavery. Look at verses 22 and 23. He says, For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. You see, the slave is actually free. Even if a person is enslaved physically in this life, when they give their lives to Jesus, they are free from the burden of their sin. They are free from the penalty of their sin. They are free from um, the, the, uh, just being owned by their sin. They are free from death. They are free from hell. They are free indeed, as the Bible says. Even when they're enslaved, if they are in physical chains, when Jesus comes into their life, they are free as a bird. But folks, for those of us who are free, what Paul says is, if we are free, we are actually also a slave. We are a slave to Christ. In fact, several places when Paul's writing to the churches, he calls himself a slave to Jesus Christ. We are enslaved to follow his ways. We are enslaved to do what he asks us to do. We are enslaved now to follow his word. So we are both free and we are both enslaved at the same time. We are free from the burdens of our sin and the yoke of our sin and the penalty of our sin. But now we have become slaves to the one who loves us. So no matter what the physical situation we are in, folks, spiritually, we are all free and we are all slaves at the same time. You know, we as humans are not very patient. We like to change things. I know some of you resist change overall. But if you think you got a better deal, a better situation somewhere, we as humans... We'll jump at that almost every time. We're not very patient. Many times when God is telling us to be patient and wait, we get impatient and move. And I will tell you that every single time in my life when I have moved, when God is saying wait, I have caused disaster. You know, when we were getting ready to, we had the idea of planting this church, Fellowship of Grace, 14 years ago. We were thinking about it, talking about it. I shared the vision of this new church with some good godly men who were smarter than me and wiser than me. And I think most of them were better looking than me. And I sat down shared them this this vision. And you know what they said to me was? They said, hey, this has got a really great chance, Michael. But you need to take a year and try to build a team of people to help you get this thing started. And if we can gather 20, 30, 40 people around you to help this thing get going, we think it has a great chance of actually becoming a long-term, viable church. That was like a punch in the gut. I mean, I left that meeting, and I was mad at them. I was angry. Like, guys, I've already heard the starter pistol. My feet are like a cartoon. I mean, they're just spinning like this. And you're saying, just wait a year? You're nuts. There's no way I'm doing that. And over the course of the next few days, God got a hold of my heart. I was like, "Oh man, those guys are pretty smart. That's some wisdom. Maybe I should listen." I hate what they said. I hate waiting. And if you know me at all, my personality—I hate waiting on anything. (laughs) I hate waiting at the grocery store. I hate waiting on the street. I hate waiting anywhere. And and I waited. I waited a year. And God did build a team around us, and God did do something really great in our lives, and this is the result. But it could have all been thwarted had we been impatient and wanted what we want, when we want, how we want. Paul is saying, when you follow Christ, folks, don't just change things. Don't panic. Whatever situation you're currently in, you can serve him and follow him and love him and bring glory and honor to him right where you are. We should work a whole lot more, folks, on the transformation of our hearts and our minds than we do on our situations and our circumstances. 2020's coming. coming. And I know that a lot of you are going to make New Year's resolutions. And, and if you decide you're going to eat better and lose weight, God love you, go for it, good for you. You decide you're going to exercise and become buff and do all this, good for you, I'm glad, don't ask me to go with you, but you good for you. Awesome, awesome, awesome. But I wonder if, you know, you decide you want to be better with your money, you decide you want to spend more time with your family, you decide all these things you want to decide I wonder if it might behoove us to just say 2020 is going to be the year for me that I focus more on the transformation of my heart and my mind than in all the things I'm trying to control around me. I just wonder if 2020 couldn't be a year that would change our futures because we focus on the eternal rather than the temporal things that we always seem to want to change. I think Paul was giving the church at Corinth some really good advice. In fact, when you see the verses that talk about marriage and remarriage and divorce and all those kind of things, you're going to see how all this plays out. But I think it's a general principle that we can apply to us right here, right now, in really every area of life. Instead of just trying to change our circumstances, maybe... God wants to change us. When couples come in to me for counseling, not a single person has ever come in and said, hey, uh, pastor, you know, my wife and I are having a lot of problems. And, uh, you know, the problem is me. I'm an idiot. And I need you to help me to not be an idiot. Because I want to treat her better. I want to be transformed by Jesus. And I want to be a different man. I always want to point to each other. But I just wonder, folks, if we really, really get serious about saying, God, I want to have a transformed heart. I want to have a transformed mind. I really, really, really want to look in the mirror and see a reflection of Jesus back. I wonder if he would grant that prayer and do something special in our lives that would trans- just transcend all of the circumstances and situations and even the relationships in our lives. Something to think about. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your word that guides and leads us. We're thankful for your spirit that impresses our hearts. God, I pray that you would help us to just uh, not constantly be changing things, trying to change our situation, trying to uh, change our circumstances, even if it's to to follow you better, even if it's to serve you greater because we know that you can use us right where we are. In fact, if we've become a member of this church, we should serve you right here. God, help us to find the spot for us. And God, we pray that as we approach this new year and we look to the future as we do that, that you'll help us to focus on the eternal things. You'll help us focus on the transformation of our heart, the transformation of our minds, and even the transformation of our relationships. God, help us to do that and not focus on all of the temporal things that surround us and that we usually look to change. God, help us serve you right where we are, bring honor and glory to you right where we are with what you have given us. Help us to be faithful to you and become a better reflection of Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.